Hello and welcome to this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me on the program today is Dr. Lauren Long. She's a double graduate of the Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi. Dr. Long, welcome to the program. Good morning and thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you, you're more than welcome. You have a pretty extensive uh, resume, so we're going to have a lot of ground to cover in a, in a short period of time. But I want to start by just really talking about how did you end up selecting Jackson State as your HBCU? Oh, that's a given. <laughs> I was right up the street. I was born and raised right here in Jackson. And so the last seven years of uh, right before I matriculated to Jackson State, I, I lived in West Jackson, about five minutes up the street. And so we heard the band play every night and every morning, wee hours into the morning. Uh -huh. And so I kind of felt it in my bones and I kind of wanted to be in that environment. So my mom went to Jackson State. My dad went to Jackson State and they both graduated. And so, yeah, that was that was a pretty much a given. It was really no other option uh, for me or I considered really no other school, honestly. So your freshman your freshman year uh, of college, you you set foot on Jackson State University's campus. Uh, what was that freshman year like? Oh, that it was it was different because you know we're transitioning from high school where we have a little more structure. You have mom telling you to get up in the morning, and so transitioning freshman year, it's like okay, sh she's still around, but she's not peeking over my shoulder to make sure I get up for that eight o'clock class. So right. it was it was some grounding that needed to take place, and and it did later in the year more so. Um, and then, like I said, making sure I remain structured because you're coming from high school again and, and it was a little easier managing six or seven classes but when you get to college and you're around thousands of different people that's just like you and, and you're still kind of a little nervous and timid because you're new to the environment so and then wanting to make sure I remained an A student it's like okay it's a lot of pressure here and the freshman 15 is a real thing yeah. because I did, yeah, I did gain if not 15 pounds exactly <laughs> It's so funny because my mom will, will remind me of that because it wasn't something that I paid attention to. But um, so I had an apartment. I didn't stay with mom. I, uh -huh. I, um, I graduated high school. I got an apartment. And so snacks galore. And mom wasn't telling me, you know, to stay out the kitchen. And so um, it was a very um, welcoming environment. But, yeah, it took some adjusting. Yeah. You yeah. And, and so everyone uh, that's been on the show and that I talk to always talk about how uh, the environment at HBCUs are, you know, just a welcoming camaraderie type environment. Uh, talk to me about your experience in that area. What was the environment and atmosphere like? Very rich in culture. I. <laughs> I don't want to say, uh, well, I'll say I'm pro-black. It's Black History Month. I'm pro-black all day long. <laughs> so being around my people, being around, like I said, folks that are just like me. And so we're all kind of, we're growing through this thing together. And so being around folks that I can relate to, 
um, that socioeconomic background is the same. A lot of our demographics were the same. We kind of grew up in, in low-income families, and we all had this this dream and similar visions of going to an HBCU. So being around those folks, and and you know, we we went to class, but we also partied too. And so making sure we stayed connected um, to our roots, I feel like was very very important. And so what were some of the uh, activities that you uh, participated in while you were at Jackson State that that left a lasting uh, memory on with you? Oh, my God. I can't call how many phone parties, uh, not to mention the football games. I wasn't really, really big on um, basketballs. So I didn't attend a whole lot of basketball games, but um, we had the um, – I can't think of the name of the theater um, club, but they put on a lot of presentations that we were able to go see some um, theater art. Yeah. And so, yeah, just the, um, I can't even call it. It was just so much. And I hate to keep emphasizing parties because I don't want people to think we, you know, that's all we focus <laughs> on. We created spaces to enjoy one another's presence, whether that was just hanging out on the plaza or, or going over to, you know, Starbucks to hang out. Um, it was just, like I said, enriching just to be around us. Right, right. So what about um, mentors uh, or people that were influential in uh, your success at Jackson State? Are there any individuals that um, come to mind? Dr. Shante Jones, of course. <laughs> he is my best friend's aunt. So my best friend also graduated from Jackson State. That's Dr. Kia Monique Jones. And so Shante is a second aunt, if not like mom to me. She took me in I, and not just me, but I gave birth to my first child as a um, junior at Jackson State. And she loved my daughter like her own. She sponsored her. Um, throughout her education at Adiambo School on up until that's kindergarten until fifth grade. And so she invested in my life. And so she didn't go to Jackson State. She's a two-blue grad. We're going to forgive her for that. <laughs> she, she invested in my life just as equally and as much as my mom did. So Jackson State, uh, you graduated twice. You have a Ph.D. from Jackson State as well. Uh, what made you go back to Jackson State? Because you left Jackson State and you went to with Bellhaven for your master's. And, and you just. So, mm -hmm. so kind of talk to me about that journey. Yeah, so my undergraduate course, it is what it is. And, and I wasn't, um, I'm going to say, I wasn't as focused as I should have been in undergrad. And this is just me reflecting on the past. I'm that person that will make a 97 and question why I didn't get those other three points. But my mom um, kind of experienced some some things health-wise that kind of set me back a little bit in undergrad. So yeah. she's recovering. She had ovarian cancer, and so she's recovered from it for 12 years now. And then, like I said, I gave birth my junior year, so that was an 11-year relationship, my high school sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, I wanted some diversity just yet. So, I, of course, I have a social justice background. And, and you know, as you mentioned, I, public policy is my life. And so it doesn't just impact us as, you know, black folks. It, it impacts everybody around us. And so right. I was like, let me go over to Bellhaven and, and see, you know, what that life was like. I, um, to be 100% honest, I did not enjoy it as much. 
Um, those classes were structured at nighttime, which was fine, of course, because I was working um, as a bank teller throughout the day. And so, um, like I said, I went to give myself some diversity to say I gave myself that chance. Yeah. And then I went on back home to where <laughs> I knew I was going to be comfortable and I knew I was going to get that love. No, you know, shade to Bill Haven. Wonderful school. Wonderful school. Yeah. But Jackson State was my home and I knew I wanted to go back there. Now, uh Looking at your uh, your resume, your your, your bio, uh, I can tell that you are big on social um, justice and public policy. So why are those areas uh, so important to you? So I'm going to start from where we are right now. And, and, and what I say we, I'm speaking in terms of the city of Jackson and the state of Mississippi. And we are in a state of crisis that I feel like um, we've been in for decades now. And it's a little it's intense now because I'm an adult and I understand it a whole lot more. And so you have ridiculous House and Senate bills um, like House Bill um, 1020 that would establish a what they call in a separate district, but it's really zoned to protect um, the white citizens. And so Jackson is 80 percent black. So this bill would put a separate court system, separate policing department into place that would oversee this district in the city of Jackson. Again, it's 80 percent black. So it's usurping the authority of our black leaders here and you're using our tax dollars to fund this district. And so I'm in my mind, it's like you almost it's a slap in the face because you can find resources to put, you know, white officials in place because these these officials will be white. They're appointed by they will be appointed by, you know, a white judge. And so we know what they're going to look like and we know they're not, you know, in our best interest. And so to do that, it's, it's like a slap in the face. And I feel like it's a wake up call for us as, you know, black Americans to kind of look at public policies and how it directs and indirectly impacts us. Right. And so I don't reside in the city of Jackson anymore. My entire family does. And so how this bill will impact them, it's important to me. And I, and where I am now, it's like, OK, I'm dead in the middle. It's it's people before me that that's kind of ready to sit down. So I kind of need to step up. And then it's people behind me that need to know what's going on. And right. they really need to get engaged because we're going to lose ourselves if we let these people, which is going to pass. But that's not the end of the road because we could take them to court. So but we need people to support this. I have not seen what I want to see in my eyes, which I participated in in two um, rallies Mm -hmm. about this House and Senate bill and three meetings. I have not seen a mass demonstration of, you know, citizens showing up to say that we care. NAACP has had, you know, a rally and meetings. And so there are people that show up, but where are the thousands and thousands of people to show up at the state capitol? You know, like our predecessors and ancestors. Right. Why do you think it's that way now? Why Why do you think people are not engaged or don't have an interest in uh, policies that are going to, you know, adversely impact not just only themselves, but their kids and, and grandkids as well? Everybody is, is, if I could just be honest, it's a bit selfish because we're all stuck on our own personal lives. We all have issues going on. 
There are people that, you know, go to work and then they work 40 hours a week and they still only bring home 15,000 a year. They don't have the mind, the mental capacity to deal with their lives and to show up and, and in some cases have to miss work because if you're going to show up for a demonstration, you know, you're going to have to miss work. And so retaliation, fear, they don't feel like, again, it impacts them. And where we are, it's almost like questioning what difference would it make. And so people are tired and I get it. But again, you have folks, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King was tired and, and Constance Slaughter Harvey was tired. You, you know what I'm saying? But we have to continue to fight. <laughs> and, and so it, it's almost like it's diminishing, <laughs> but we have to continue to show up to keep people engaged. And I yeah. kind of, it's almost like young folks and, and social media plays a huge role in it because we don't see a whole lot of how we should show up as black people. You yeah. see a lot, of, you know, entertainment, but you don't see a whole lot of people promoting social justice and economic justice and, and you see it, but again, how to make it appealing to, you know, this generation that's going, right. you know, lead eventually. So talk to me about the uh, the Ruben V. Anderson Center for Social Justice uh, at Tougaloo College. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about the why that uh, center was established and what your role is there. OK, so the Ruben V. Anderson Center for Justice was established as a think tank research engine, and it houses the pre-law program, public policy program, and political science program. And in a nutshell, it was established to, uh, one, identify community issues, and two, address those. And so we do that through, like I said, through research and coalition building and through partnership. And I serve as the actually the first director of the Eric Holder Public Policy Program, which is a minor that was launched this past fall. And so what we do, um, we have four pillars to the Ruben V. Anderson Institute. Uh, we have our public health equity, educational equity, criminal justice, and economic justice. And so what we do is, like I said, identify issues and we pretty much implement programs and um, initiatives to address them. And so we have our Benny G. Thompson Leadership Development Program, which was designed to promote and um, basically train leaders, legislators in the Mississippi Delta to keep them engaged in these issues because they don't have a whole lot of time to do research. A lot of these bills, they don't really know what they are until they're presented to vote on them. Yeah. And so it's kind of a part of our job is in, in the community to help them out with that. And so... Uh, that's one side of it. And then with the four pillars, we do public policy initiatives. And we, like I said, we partner with, um, I don't even, let's, let's back up to the, to the initiatives first and then I'll get to the partner. So we have a food is medicine initiative that's a partnership with Tufts University and the Delta Health Centers and, and some black farmers in the Mississippi Delta. That's a $6 million initiative that launched last fall. And, and what we're doing is basically providing prescription produce to about 300 patients in the Mississippi Delta that are obese, they have high blood pressure, and they are diabetics. And so our goal is to create this replicable food, local food economy that um, we could basically use uh, Medicaid dollars to fund. So just like people go 
that doctor prescribes them pills, you know, um, right. the opioids. We basically have um, are trying to prove that fresh produce is is actually medicine. And so we're we're gonna do this study, and and like I said, it's it's six million dollars over six years, and so we're excited about that. And then we have our the Tougaloo Agrogrowth Initiative. It's a BIPOC worker-owned farm that's on campus and it's student-led. And so our students grow the produce, they harvest the produce, and right now uh, we're working with our client, the the Mississippi Food Network, to provide Mm -hmm. the produce. And so they are directly engaged in it and they directly benefit as um, co-owners of that that, uh, initiative. And so the, the ultimate goal of that is to kind of expand the research on, on BIPOC work on co-ops and, and because it's tons of, of farming land, of course, in yeah. Mississippi. And so we got to figure out a way to get our youth engaged in it and, and to um, figure out how to use this land to, to benefit, again, us as black folks. And then we have um, our educational equity program, which is I serve. It's it's a after school initiative in partnership with a great with the Greater Jackson Arts Council. We have oh, Born to Lead is our criminal justice initiative. That one um, is a little close to me. Uh, so at Bellhaven, I did get the opportunity to do a thesis on at the time was the city of Jackson's inmate reentry program. And it was dear to me because at the time my brother was incarcerated and he got out and it was just so difficult for him to find work. And I knew my brother had a strong work ethic and he just could not find a job. And so I evaluated that, that program. So when I got to Tougaloo and seen that, you know, they had an inmate, you know, reentry program, I was like, okay, this is great. These are undergraduate students getting exposed to these issues and the solution. And then um, I think that there may be all the programs, but um, as far as our partners, we have policy and advocacy fellows that are our community organizers, legislators that, you know, work directly in the community. Right. And so we have uh, Wakenya Clanton from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Danielle Holmes from the Poor People's Campaign. Um, ooh, we we had um, Representative DeKeith Stamps come down and speak to them, and he also has a background in, in food justice. And ooh, the list goes on. My my dear friend, my chair, and um, well, he's retired now, but he was the uh, chair of the public policy program at Jackson State. But Dr. Johnny Gillian. Uh, he's he served as one of our fellows and and so what they did was came down to to host a advocacy training program which was six weeks on saturdays that they basically came out and introduced our students to public policy advocacy and some foundations and what that looks like across you know each respective field yeah and even had a student macy brown who's very prominent here in jackson she led um one of the march for our lives in 2020 and she's a political science major at Jackson State University currently. And so we even had her to come over and talk to our students about the importance of being engaged even as a student. And so all that to say, we had to 
we're we're not reinventing wheels here. We're we're getting out yeah. and we're exposing our students to what people are already doing, and then it's it's relationship building because eventually these students are going to be our future leaders. Right now, you are the director of the um, Eric Holder uh, Public Policy Program, correct? So That's what right. what's the uh, core focus of that particular program? So that program is the program that establishes those grassroots initiatives that okay. I just mentioned. So outside of the curriculum, which is a 21 credit hour program, they need to be hands on and you cannot. I've, of course, looked and there is no other public policy program that will give you the curriculum and then the um, practical hands on grassroots experience. And so coming out of public policy, a master's, I got my bachelor's in business administration, uh -huh. but my master's and doctorate in public policy, I kind of saw what these students needed. And outside of the curriculum, they need to be hands on and they need to be hands on with real life experiences and real life people that are working on these issues. So when they do graduate, if they are ready for the workforce, they'll be ready and we prepare them for that. Right. Or if they want to continue on to a graduate program, we prepare them for that as well. So how do you feel um, Jackson State University prepared you for uh, the role that you're in currently? All, everything, that not everything, because I contribute most of who I am to my God, but my education, again, that culture, the structure, the social life, I contribute that to the I love. <laughs> and so um, there at Tougaloo, you, I know you see probably yourself and some of the students that come uh, to campus and they kind of make you probably have that feeling of looking back uh, when you were uh, at college. How mm -hmm. does that, um, being in that position where you can understand the struggle and what they're dealing with, how does that impact how you interact with the student body there at Tougaloo? It impacts the way I teach. It impacts the way I communicate with them, the way I seek and desire to have this relationship with them. So that's one thing that I, I did not pursue in undergrad, which was a closer relationship with my professors for the sake of mentorship and guidance. And so knowing that now that's something that whether they knew it or not, it's, it's, I kind of sneak up on them. And so I'm not just here to teach you, you know, what this book says. I'm here to get involved in your life and, and figure out what's going on in your head so that I can figure out, you know, how to help you with some of the things that you may not even feel like you can talk to me about. And so my door is open all the time. And, and some of the other professors will tell you it's always a student or two or three, you know, in there. But, and that's because we welcome them, not just myself, but Dr. Wanda McGowan, my chair, and of course, Attorney Julian Miller, Miller and, and Ida Geis, who's our assistant, who might as well be our dean. She's been there 33 years and, and everybody loves her. But we have open doors because we want students to feel a, a closer connection to us outside of, you know, what the book says. That's important <laughs> because it, it will literally make or break them. Like we have students that, oh, I can't do this. Pre-law is a very rigorous program. We have students that come in there and pour their hearts out because they feel that they cannot continue that program very beneficial everything that they receive and sometimes it, it's going to be a little more pressure on them right. 
considering, you know, a lot of them are involved in other activities. I feel like it's our job to bring them back down to earth because even in the real world, you're going to experience some pressure. Right. It's our job to teach them how to manage that and, and kind of cope with it and then kind of teach them how to get out of their own way. Because a lot of these things they can do, they have the capacity and capability to do. It's just them thinking they can't do it. So it's right. our job to step in. And in some cases, we have to be friends, you know, with them. A lot of them have my cell number. You call or text me, but don't bottle your emotions and, and don't feel like you can't, you know, talk to your professors just because we hold that title. Right. And so as we get ready to uh, wind the show down, uh, I know and I know you're kind of in a conflicted situation. So I'm going to help you out here. Uh, why? Should a student choose to go to either Jackson State or Tougaloo or HBCUs in general? Well, HBCUs in general, I will say, will keep them connected to that culture while still giving them that experience of being in college that they need. Jackson State and Tougaloo, two totally different institutions. So it's just going to depend on that student, whether they're looking for six to you know twelve thousand students peers or Tougaloo which is a smaller and private institution you're looking at up to you know a thousand peers and so it's going to depend on and then Tougaloo has a bit more of a social justice background and so you have very prominent leaders again Dr. Martin Luther King, Constance Slaughter Harvey who walked that very campus so a lot of students that go to Tougaloo are connected to the historical context of Tougaloo. Their parents went to Tougaloo. But Jackson State, again, is more of a school that you kind of hear about, you know, from the band right. and, and outside of academia. Right. You hear about the boom. Everybody wants to be around the boom. And, Lauren, so. I want I wanted to jump in and do this before we close the show because we're about okay. to run out of time. I want to present you with our HBCU Lifetime Achievement Award for your continued commitment and support uh, to historically black colleges and university in, in, uh, universities. And we'll be getting this to you uh, in the mail. And okay. I want to thank you for being on this episode of HBCU. And I want to thank my viewers for watching. And remember, without you, there's no me.